of all the incidents I've been involved with, either through ethical hacking or through doing digital forensics, over 90% of them were due to human error. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Howdy, Dave. We've got some fun stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio returns. She's got an interview with Martin Overton. He's from OMG Cybersecurity, and he's going to tell us how if you fall for a phishing attack, that might void your cyber insurance. Hmm. We've got a word from our sponsors at Know Before, but before we do, we've got a special announcement that's related to that. Joe, you and I are doing a special live version of our Hacking Humans podcast. We are. At the upcoming KB4Con in Orlando, Florida. That's from May 8th through the 10th. That is right. That is a, an event. We're going to be live on stage. We're going to be doing our show, and we'll have some special guests. We'll have uh, Stu Showerman. He's Know Before CEO. But also, we're going to have Kevin Mitnick. He is one of the best-known hackers in the world. So we're uh, super excited about that. We'd love to see all of you there. You can find out all about KB4Con if you go to Know Before's website. And speaking of Know Before, here's a word from them. So how do you train people to recognize and resist social engineering? There are some things people think. Test them. And if they fall for a test scam, fire them. Or other people say, if someone flunks the test, shame them. Instead of employee of the month, it's doofus of the day. Or maybe you pass out a gift card to the one who gets the A-plus for skepticism in the face of phishing. So how about it? What do you think? Carrots or sticks? What would you do? Later in the show, we'll hear what the experts at Know Before have to say. They're the sponsors of this show. Joe, we're back. We want to kick off this week's show with some follow-up. We had a listener named Jack wrote in. He said, I love your podcast. Thank you, Jack. He said, I wanted to get your suggestion for a best practice on something. He said, I recently received an email in Spanish welcoming me to Netflix. This was odd because I don't have Netflix. Mm. And the email address this was sent to has never been associated with Netflix. I went to Netflix and reset the password to the account using my email. Once I had access, I saw it was registered to a Maria Pacheco. Netflix records your login history and what IP is used, and in this case, the logins came from Santiago, Chile. Hmm. I chatted with Netflix to inform them of the situation, and they said they would reach out to the owner of the account. There was no evidence of foul play, but I kept trying to think about how this was some sort of scam I wasn't thinking of. I changed the password to the email that had been used, although there was no evidence anyone had gotten access. Mm -hmm. He says, do you have any thoughts on why my email was used in this situation? Is there anything else you guys can think of that I should have done? What do you think, Joe? I think changing the email password is a wise move, even though there is no evidence of compromise. Right. You just change the password. If you use a password manager, this takes you no effort at all or next to no effort. It's a great step to take. This could be a typo. I'd like to know how Netflix is going to get in touch with the account owner. If that's him. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, her. But um, yeah, I mean, the email address is the that's the center right. of the bullseye for how they reach out to someone with the account. Right. Unless they have an alternative contact method like a phone number. Or something. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I suspect this was probably someone just mistyped uh, an email address in because they'd have to put in some sort of credit card information. Right. Some payment information or they would not have gotten the account. I think that's required, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, maybe they have a free trial. Maybe this was some kind of free trial thing. Oh, it could be. Could have been using a fake credit card. Yeah. Harvested up a known email address, you know, from one of the the many uh, email breaches. breaches. (laughs) Yeah. 
I've gotten emails, not from Netflix, but like this, that were, we've created your account for you. Here's how you log in you know, to verify your account. So what I did was I went in, I verified the account, I changed the password on the account, and then I closed the account mm. because someone had signed up with my email. Right. And I think they were just trying to sign up with any email they had, and they probably found it on some list. This is a, an email that is on... Uh, uh, Troy Hunt's list. So yeah, <laughs> it's probably from some breach. Yeah. Something similar happened to me. Yeah, I, I had an email address and I kept getting um, invoices that we were meant for someone else who had mm-hmm. an email address that was very similar to my email address. Right. And uh, I couldn't seem to get through to them to tell them, this is not me. This is who, I think this is who you we want, <laughs> right. this other person. And that person's email address is similar to mine. It was actually someone who was in a similar business to me. Really? Yeah. And anyway, it was just a typo. Huh. But they can be uh, tough to track down. My gut feeling on this is for Jack is that I, I don't think this was any sort of high powered attempt to get at anything of his. I right. I suspect at the very worst that we're probably just an opportunistic person trying to maybe get uh, some free Netflix. Mm-hmm. But they weren't after Jack's credit card or anything like that. Right. So uh, sounds like Jack did everything right here. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, including fine, Jack. Including sending it in to us. Yes, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for doing that, Jack. All right, let's move on to our stories. Joe, why don't you kick things off for us this week? Dave, you're on the nasty list. Really? Along with Janet Jackson. That's Ms. Jackson, because you're nasty. <laughs> that's right. So the nasty list is, is a phishing attack that's going around Instagram right now. Okay. And this is coming from Bleeping Computer. We'll have a link in the show notes. Here's how it works. You get a direct message that reads, oh my God, you're Y-O-U-R. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of the things that makes a hair on the back of my neck stand up. <laughs> You're actually on here, and it has an Instagram name, at the nasty list underscore XX. Your number is 26. It's really messed up. Oh. So if you click on the username, you're taken to an Instagram profile where the, the description is set to, wow, you're on here, or hmm. people are putting all of us on here. And there's a link on the profile that says, if you want to view the list, you can go to this domain, nastylist-instatop50.me. Hmm. Right? Okay. So it kind of looks like it says Instagram in there, Insta something. Yeah, right. right. Uh, and if you click on the link, it takes you to a page that looks exactly like the Instagram login page. Oh, okay. If you are going along with this, and you enter your username and your password into the site, then they've harvested your credentials. And the first thing they do is they log into your account and they send the same message to everyone in your contacts that they can send the message to, Mm -hmm. right? So it's kind of like a viral spreading, phishing, smishing. I don't know. It's definitely on a localized to Instagram. Right. And they're definitely trying to harvest Instagram credentials. Okay. Somebody is sucking these up for some reason. It doesn't look like people are losing access to their accounts, but they are essentially getting hacked somehow. And we don't know yet what the end game is we on this. We don't know what the, the end game is. Okay. Uh, my guess is the end game is to suck up these accounts and credentials. That, and sell them. And or, sell them, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So let's unpack the social engineering components here. Yeah. First, the message alarms you with the term nasty list. If the first thing you're thinking is, did someone post a photo that I thought was private? Immediately, your fear kicks in. Yeah. Right? Let's say that you've shared pictures that you would hope would remain private, but they don't. So you're much more likely to fall for the scam. The fake login page is very convincing. And we've talked about this on a phone before. The real estate's kind of limited. Mm -hmm. So the only indicator that you're not at Instagram is the URL, and it's um, written in a much smaller typeface. Hmm. So it's very convincing that you can fall for this. 
And if you reuse your password, which is another common human behavior, all the services where you use that password have now potentially been compromised. Right. Of course, the question is, how do you protect yourself? First thing you should do is be using a password manager. And it would be really great if you could use a password manager that verifies that it's submitting the password to the proper site password managers have this feature. The one I recommend, Password Safe, which is free, actually doesn't have this feature, but it would be nice if it did, yeah. if your password manager does. Two, enable two-factor authentication. That may not have helped you in this case because this is a social engineering attack. They could have very well just asked for your two-factor authentication token and gotten in and spread the message the same way yep. to continue to harvest these credentials, but it will protect you against future attacks. It prevents somebody from taking that information and then in a future point in time, taking over your account. Don't click on links that are sent to you. That's something we commonly say. Yeah, you know, go yeah. out to the source yourself. Right. Don't click on anything. So if you do fall victim to this or any similar attack, go ahead and change your password if you still have control of the account. And yeah. change the passwords to any other accounts where you use that password. And use a password manager so you can set them to all different passwords. You know, I, I fell victim to one of these uh, probably about 10 years ago. Really? I believe it was Twitter. Mm -hmm. And Twitter was still fairly new, I think. And I got a message from a friend of mine that said... Hey, did you see this video of you that's been posted online? You you really need to see this. Right. And it was the same sort of thing. And and I, I fell for it. Right. Because it, it was, I, I wanted to see the video of me that was posted online. Yeah. Did, didn't say if it was good or bad, but yep. of course my imagination started running. Well, this could be awesome. <laughs> it could be an awesome video of me or it right. could be terrible. Right. So, uh. I have totally hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, call to action totally short circuits a lot of your thinking. Yep. I think uh, I was able to get in front of it and change my password before anything bad happened, but, you know, it's a lesson learned the hard way. Right. Yep. <laughs> We're all susceptible. Time to move on to my story. Yes. And uh, mine comes from uh, Brian Krebs over at Krebs on Security. Mm hmm. And this is about a service that is powering Airbnb scams, and it's hmm. called Landlords. And in this being the internet, Lords is spelled with a Z at the end. This is a scamming as a service. So, you know, there's all sorts of things you can get on the internet as a service. Hacking is now available as a service. Correct. So uh, according to this story uh, by Brian Krebs, the folks who are running this Landlords subscription site, which uh, costs over 500 bucks a month. Wow. I guess they can charge that because you get a return on that investment. Hmm. What this does is it enables you to set up hundreds of fake Airbnb accounts. Right. And the accounts get set up on real Airbnb. It, it helps you set up fake reviews. It helps you manage the interactions with people who might be interested in these fake properties. Ultimately, it takes you to a fake Airbnb page, similar to what we were just talking about, right. where it takes you to uh, a page that has a URL that looks very, very similar to Airbnb. Um, in fact, in this case, it's Airbnb-longterm-airbnb.co.uk. Hmm. At first glance, this would not raise red flags to me that this could not be some sort of legit Airbnb subdomain. Right, because it's designed to look like a subdomain. This is actually another domain. Exactly. So what happens is uh, the folks who fall for this, they see these fake properties that they want to book. They get in touch with the folks who have made the fake listings. They get routed to the clone site, mm -hmm. that is the phony site. And then they start down the path of making deposits on these places, uh, making payments. And of course, in the end, they're cheated out of their money. Right. They show up at the property and there's nobody... It's there's a family living there, right? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And that's probably the end game for the victims of this. Yeah, yeah. Now, 
I have to say, I first of all, I, I have a, a lot of respect for uh, Brian Krebs. Right. Uh, I think he does great work, and uh, he's a really good writer, and and just does uh, really good stuff. And he's like a pit bull when it comes to yeah. tracking down these stories. But there's something in this article that that I have to take a little bit of issue with. And uh, he says people who lose money in these scams fail big time on two things. First, they fail to notice they are not on Airbnb.com. More importantly, they end up wiring money to secure the promise of a fake apartment or home in another country, and the thieves cut off all communications at that point. Right. Uh, and then he goes on to describe someone. He says, like they did to this poor sucker who paid $1,200 in exchange for a piece of paper, which promised they'd hand over keys to the apartment at a specific date. Now, I guess I just sort of have to take issue with the way Brian is framing this. Right. That these people are failing. You and I talk about this all the time. Right. You need to have empathy for anybody could fall for these things. Exactly, yeah. And I suspect this comes across stronger than how Brian meant for it to come across. Right. Knowing Brian. Uh, I and, agree with and, you. that I kind of agree with Brian that they are missing the pointers that we're always talking about going to the URL, the incorrect URL. Yeah, this is a very well-crafted site. And it works so well that the attackers are charging $500 a month for the service and getting it. So it's expensive because it's good. It's yep. a good attack. Yeah. It's a high quality product. Yes, it is. The point I guess I'd like to make is that it, let's not forget the empathy for folks who fall victim to these things. They're not falling victim because they're stupid. They're falling victim because they're human. Right. And we I just need to, you need to keep that in mind. If someone you work with or some, one of your family members, they're already suffering enough. They already feel stupid. Right. Don't pile on. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. Well, that is my story this week. It is time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day comes from a listener named Drew, and he spent some time in the U.S. Air Force. He received an unsolicited message on one of the social media platforms, and the photo was a woman who was dressed in military fatigue. She mm -hmm. had the, the camo outfit on. Her name uh, is Rebecca Nunnery. Interesting. Nunnery. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Get thee to a nunnery. Get thee to a nunnery. And uh, the message goes like this. How are you doing? I found your profile attractive. Are you single? Would like to get to know better about you. Here is a bit about me. I am Rebecca Nunnery. I'm new to this. I just registered on here about a few days ago. I was born in Orlando, Florida. I work as a U.S. Army and with the Armored Cavalry Regiment as a first lieutenant colonel. The special forces teams, we are among the most specialized combat forces in the Army, working under the 3rd Cavalry, Hawar, with the United Nation, and from United States, but presently deployed in Nigeria for peacekeeping mission. We experience rigorous mental and physical training in order to carry out our missions in a quick and extremely effective manner, and we are guaranteed the opportunity to try out for special forces. I hope am not scare you away. Tell me about you. Just former information about you. And then Drew responds and says, Would you like me to tell you everything wrong with what you just said? <laughs> no. I followed up with Drew. First of all, Drew, thanks for sending this That's in. That's a pretty good catch of the day. It is pretty good. I, I followed up with Drew and I said, Drew, I, I'm no uh, expert on military operations. Uh, could you send in a list of the things that are wrong with this? Uh, and he did. Drew said, uh, first of all, one doesn't work as a U.S. Army. Right. The third not anymore. Not since they dropped the <laughs> Army of One. Yeah. The third Army. <laughs> Cavalry is not a special forces team. It is not. I just like to say as an aside that they use both cavalry and cavalry in this. 
that that is that, a, that's one a pet of the peeve of mine. Yeah, it makes you makes you very angry. It, it does. It does. Yeah. Drew goes on to say there is no such thing as a first lieutenant colonel. One is either a first lieutenant or a lieutenant colonel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says uh, we had military advisors in Nigeria and they were not under any UN mission, but they were pulled out in 2014. And the third cab was in Afghanistan in 2014 to 2015. This message was sent to me in 2018. Well, that's a good one, huh? Yeah, that, I love this one. I wonder if Rebecca Nunnery might actually be a real person who is in the military. Could be. Because yep, we see that a lot. There's a picture of, of a person here in fatigues. And it has an, a plausible name. The English, of course, is terrible. It communicates, but it, it does not communicate well. Yeah. Well, you know, people just can't resist another person in uniform. That's right. Evidently. I guess that's the whole thing they're going for here. Yeah. So, uh, so, Drew, thanks for sending that in. That's our catch of the day. Coming up next, Carol Terrio returns. She's got an interview with Martin Overton from OMG Cybersecurity. He's going to tell us about how falling for a phishing attack might just void your cyber insurance. Let's return to our sponsor, No Before's question. Carrots or sticks? Stu Showerman, No Before's CEO, is definitely a carrot man. You train people, he argues, in order to build a healthy security culture. And sticks don't do that. Approach your people like the grown-ups they are, and they'll respond. Learning how to see through social engineering can be as much fun as learning how a conjuring trick works. Hear more of Stu's perspectives in No Before's weekly Cyber Heist News. We read it, and we think you'll find it valuable, too. Sign up for Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. That's K-N-O-W-B-E, the number four, dot com slash news. Joe, it's great to have Carol Terrio back on the show. She recently spoke with Martin Overton. He's from OMG Cybersecurity. And he's going to tell her how uh, falling for that phishing attack uh, might cause you to have a run-in with your insurance provider. Here's Carol Terrio. Guys, today I'm talking about the most exciting cyber topic there is, cyber insurance. Okay, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not the most exciting topic. But this interview with Martin Overton, who is an expert in cyber and worked in the insurance industry for years. So it was quite enlightening when we started to play, are you insured after certain scenarios? The results were interesting. Check it out. So Martin, maybe you can introduce yourself to our audience and let them know what you do. Just to make it clear, I'm not an insurance specialist. I'm a techie. I've been working with IT security for over 30 years, and I have over 30 years of real-world experience in, in dealing with malicious code. Over 15 years as an ethical hacker, so I've hacked infrastructure and humans, so I've done social engineering attacks as well, so I know about those. Um, I also did 10 years of digital forensics, so incident response, so dealing with breaches that companies have had, so actually helping them everything from script kiddies, so simple web defacements right through to nation state actors. So I've dealt with all of those. But the last two years before I started my own company, I actually was working for one of the largest uh, cyber insurance companies uh, in the world, very much hand in glove with the underwriters. So I used to help the underwriters on uh, meetings with clients, the brokers, and also the claims team. So that sometimes the claims team would come to me and say, Martin, what does this mean? This particular insured is actually asking for coverage or, or payment for this particular remediation. Is this acceptable or is this what we call betterment, which means basically they're trying to to get something for nothing. Yeah. So you are in a really unique position of understanding both the, the whole ecosystem of cyber and now you've got insight into the insurance. So you're perfect for this topic today. 
Well, yeah, I would hope so, yes. We've got 20 years, more or less, of this being an industry. So what kinds of people or companies invest in cyber insurance? Pretty much everybody nowadays. I mean, you, you can obviously not go through a day nowadays without seeing some form of breach on the news. It's become the norm almost. It's almost a case of, well, you, I mean, you haven't been breached today? It's almost getting to that situation. And with all the mass data breaches, lots of these are where credentials are stolen, so user IDs and passwords. And then the bad guys are then replaying those to what we call credential stuffing to actually break into other accounts owned by that user because they're using the same password. So it's a big human issue, really. That's probably the biggest problem nowadays. But I'm, I'm guessing that with most insurance forms, there's some loopholes or complexities in it that maybe they were not actually seeing. I mean, I would just assume if I had cyber insurance, you know, and I have AV protection, yep. done deal, right? I'm going to get a pay it if I get hit. It would depend on what, what you get hit by, exactly how it occurred. Now, cyber insurance normally is works on the premise well, certainly for the vast majority of it, is that you've been hacked. Okay. Right. So let's let's play covered by cyber insurance, true or false. Okay. <laughs> okay. So what are we pretending that I'm a cyber insurance person? <laughs> so someone opened an attachment and unwittingly lets in an unauthorization onto the network. Companies with cyber insurance, would they be covered? Right. So there's a user, they're at, you know, just a normal employee and they happen to have a phishing email, for example, with a link or a, a, you know, a malicious attachment and they click on that. And then the whole network goes down and the company now wants to claim for the company. So I'm going to say, of course, they get coverage. Of course. Yeah. And because they've been effectively hacked and their, their, their systems have been impacted, most cyber insurance coverage would cover that quite happily. That would cover the, the investigation. So the, the forensics. If needed, it would potentially cover the legal costs and also if required, PR costs. So if there's a brand damage issue here, that potentially would also be covered. But again, it depends on the policy and the exact wording. So in the situation where I have been duped as an employee by a phishing email, most people would cover it. Most cyber insurance people would cover that. Most policy should cover that because it's an act of hacking, even though the user has actually clicked on a link and introduced mail code or hacking tools or opened a back door or whatever onto their system, there is an act of hacking there. So the, the systems have been compromised. Okay, got you. So I, I'm yep. one zero right now, right? I got that point. Okay, so okay. let's say you're an international defense contractor. You've had malware deployed by an unknown capability on your infrastructure, and the bad guys have stolen intellectual property, so designs, etc. Yeah. Okay. Now, would you be covered? And if so, what would you be covered for? Okay, so this is like a third party. Uh, malware has stolen my big company secrets. Yep. <sighs> How much are those secrets worth? So I guess I would work out how much money I'd lose because the proprietariness of it is gone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so okay. So I'd expect, yeah, I'd expect to pay out. I'd be able to prove that I was affected by malware. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put a claim in and expect payout. Well, I'll give you half a point for that. So because you, you would be covered for the investigation costs and the and potentially any downtime, but the fact it's intellectual capital is generally not covered by cyber insurance. Oh, there are some cyber insurance policies that have that as an addition, right? And uh, there are some specific policies that will include intellectual property theft because it's a, an intangible. How do you know how much that that's worth? Yeah, that's interesting. So presumably, if if they've stole, for example, next year's budget and yep. strategic plans, and inside that we were the company was expecting to make ten million turnover, let's say, how how would they actually prove that? Exactly. I'll give you an example of a real case I worked on. I won't say who the company is. A large European company got hacked by some bad guys who actually went in and stole all their, 
their customer lists and their table of payments, et cetera, what they normally charge, and then sold that to one of their competitors. The first thing you knew about is when they were getting undercut all the time. <laughs> now, how do you actually cover that under insurance? It's very, very difficult. So basically, insurers just don't. But generally, because it's intellectual capital, it's very, very hard to insure because how do you put a, a monetary value on it? So what happens if there's like a social engineering trick where maybe I'm called up at my desk and someone says, hey, this is IT. Your machine's compromised. I need your password immediately. And I hand it over thinking this is all legit. And then that leads to a huge compromise within the system. What happens then from an insurance point of view? Okay, so you're, you're turning the tables on me now. So I'm now answering yeah. insurance <laughs> scenarios from you. Okay, that's fine. So I've got an example of this. So I'll give you a real world example. A large payroll HR company that, that I was doing a social engineering attack on. So this is a, a fully authorized ethical hack. Okay. But let's assume this, I was a bad guy and I was really hacking it. So I created a phishing email. I also phoned them up and pretended to be from their HR department and their tech support department. They didn't fall for that part. So I sent a, a phishing email to, to their staff. Now, their staff are all perfectly trained against this type of attack. Okay, So I set up a fake website that looked like their bank site, sent an email that looked like it came from their bank saying, there's been a problem with your account. Please click here to validate your credentials. Um, and I also attached a pretend malicious attachment as a, a fake certificate. Okay, So I sent this out uh, within 10 minutes, somebody had actually clicked on this. It was a very much a targeted attack against key people within their organization. Okay, So they clicked on the link. And within that, those 10 minutes, they'd actually give me the credentials to a bank account that had millions of pounds in it. Wow. So, I mean, normally I get people say to me, Martin, how do we know you're ethical? Well, I'm talking to you. I could be lying on a beach somewhere now with lots of money and a big yacht offshore. So, you know, this <laughs> well, is unless exactly... digital forensics wouldn't have caught you. <laughs> it wouldn't have done. No, 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 not very easily because I would have covered my tracks. But in that situation, because it's social engineering, okay, it would still be covered by a policy. So, guys, let me interrupt the interview here for a second. So, at this point, I'm thinking maybe there isn't a cyber event that I can think of that actually isn't covered by cyber insurance. Maybe they're all covered. So I asked Martin if he could give me an example of when an insurer wouldn't pay out. Yep. You're talking about what we call business email compromise or fake CEO. These are situations where somebody has found out about a transaction that's going on between uh, the, the real customer and the real seller, you know, provider, and they find out about it. So they then try to take over the, the actual transaction and tell the, the person who's supposed to be paying for it, by the way, we've changed our bank account details. Right. Okay. Or with example, an example, I think of Pathé, there was an example where the email claimed to come from the CEO of Pathé to the CFO. Yeah. And they were told to actually transfer and not to tell anybody. Now that's a, that's a business, that's a fake CEO or business email compromise. Those are particularly, those are crime. There's no hacking involved here. Nobody's broken into an infrastructure. They've just found out about it, usually set up a fake domain name, which looks very similar to the real customer's domain name, uh, sent emails and taken over the, the, the actual uh, control of that transaction. Right. So if there's no element of hacking, just duping an individual, right? So there's no malicious link, there's no fish involved, there's just very sophisticated social engineering. That means cyber insurance is going to say, look, sorry, you're, <laughs> you're maybe a bit of an idiot. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get your money. But basically, cyber insurance, from my understanding, would not uncover that. A crime policy potentially would. So this is where the difference between them, because crime policies cover fraud, irrespective of whether it's an internal person or an external person that's done it. Okay. So this means then 
that companies would really want to invest in cyber training for their employees to make sure they are aware of these kinds of tricks, because not only to protect the the integrity of the systems, but also because their insurance will be void. Indeed. So it's not just about uh, training end users. Training them is not enough. You need to do phishing testing against your own staff. Definitely. So let's say you owed me a thousand pounds and I'm like, right, I'll send you an invoice to for the thousand pounds. I send that invoice over. Someone hacks my email yes. and sends you an email saying, hey, hey, yeah, I know the invoice is in there. Do you mind just sending it to this account? Really sorry. Made a mistake on the bank account number. You fire the money to that new account, which is not mine. I'm I'm now back in, in charge saying, where's, my, where's money? my money? Yes. And I go to my cyber insurance. They're going to say, uh-uh, you were duped. Yeah, you wouldn't be covered by that, but you might be covered under a crime policy. Okay. So ultimately what we're saying here is, yes, this is yet another reason why you want to train your employees yep. because they could potentially void cyber insurance claims. And another, obviously, we also think it's very important because they can act as your kind of an additional layer of security because, you know, yes, you have all these different layers, firewalls and anti-malware and all these kind of things going on. But why not have them also be vigilant at the perimeter and wherever they are remotely? Of all the instances I've been involved with, either through ethical hacking or through doing digital forensics, over 90% of them were due to human error. Now, that doesn't mean malicious, doesn't mean necessarily some clicking on links. It may be misconfiguration of devices, et cetera, leaving ports open, all the usual stuff that you know people do because they're trying to roll something out quickly or they're, in, they're, they're under pressure of some form. Right. So it's, uh, it's more of a bake-in situation. Indeed. Yeah, bake it in at the beginning, not at the end. Um, and, and just going back to the financial aspect, obviously, if you're, you've got people who are in the payment section, make sure there are, are good processes and procedures in there. So not just a single person can make a payment. They have to go through two or three levels to actually approve that payment. That will hopefully reduce the risk from fake CEO and um, business email. Yes, enforced collusion tends to uh, mitigate against these people thinking they get away with yeah. stuff, doesn't it? Although it didn't save Pathé in that case, because they obviously had the two guys talking to each other who said, this seems a bit strange, but we'll, we'll approve it anyway. Absolutely. Martin, thank you very, very much. This was fascinating. You You see, I surprised you, didn't I? It was a pretty interesting interview. Cyber insurance is murky. And the best advice is read your policy super carefully to make sure you're covered for the things that you think you're covered for. A good piece of advice is beforehand, write out risk scenarios to present to your potential insurer and ask them what would be covered under those instances. And, you know, this is a time to brainstorm. Think broadly. This was Carol Terrio for the CyberWire. Dave, I love covered by cyber insurance, true or false. Yeah. That sounds like a great game. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Play that with your insurance agent. Correct. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. There is. Uh, I understand why intellectual property is not typically covered. There's really no way to know the value of it. Mm -hmm. If someone steals like a technology that you have that you're going to capitalize on, how do you know what you were going to make when you never even brought it to market before it was stolen? Right. That's very difficult to do. I'm glad to hear that there are other policies that might protect it. Martin is 100% correct about setting up policies and procedures to make sure that you don't fall victim to business email compromise. And when money is moved out of your company, that there is more than one person involved in the process of moving the company. We hear this all the time where it's a conversation between two people and somebody impersonating the CEO is saying, hey, keep this under your hat, but transfer this money here. Right. That should be an instantaneous red flag. 
right? That should be something that lets you know that there's something going on here. I don't know. That would always make me uncomfortable and make it so that I would have to have a meeting with somebody before I would start doing this again. Mm-hmm. I would have to meet somebody face-to-face. Business email compromise is hacking, in my opinion. I mean, because you're, you're getting access to somebody's email, probably by uh, phishing their, their username and password. You're in their account. You're impersonating them. But if it's not covered by your insurance policy because it's written thus... <laughs> then you know you may yeah. want to get some insurance that covers that. Well, and and it's interesting that that uh, you know as they mentioned, it, it could be covered by a fraud clause right. in a crime rider or right. whatever of your insurance exactly. policy. I mean, one, one of the things that struck me here is that uh, first of all, you need to be dealing with an insurance agent that you trust. Right. But even beyond that, even no matter how well intentioned that person is, get it in writing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just go through oh. these questions and get everything in writing because even if that agent or that representative has all the best intentions, it may not be their call. It's not going to be their call. Right. No, it, they're they're the actually, sales force. They're yeah. not they're not really the the operational force. And the operational force, their job is to make sure they pay out as little as possible. Right, right, right. right. That's that's their business model. Right. So I would recommend having an attorney present whenever you're doing this to make sure that uh, an attorney who specializes in insurance and works for you mm-hmm. uh, if you have a company that you're trying to protect. Yeah, Business yeah. email compromise is definitely a risk. It pays out too often and too big for it not to be. Yeah, Definitely. If you can get insurance for it, you should probably get insurance for it. I suppose this is one of those, you can pay me now or you can pay me later kind of things. You know, I could I can imagine people thinking, well, it's, gosh, it's expensive to get a lawyer and, right. and all that sort of thing. Well, yeah, it is, but it, mm-hmm. you, you, this is why you're buying insurance. You're buying insurance to protect yourself against... The bigger thing, the the big smoking hole in the ground, the the <laughs> that the, was your company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like my, I have a friend who sells insurance. He says the Wiley Coyote event that uh, <laughs> that that is what you were insuring against. So. All right. Well, as always, uh, great to have Carol Terrio back. And thanks to Martin Overton for taking the time for us. And that is our podcast. We want to thank our sponsor, Know Before. Their new school security awareness training will help you keep your people on their toes with security at the top of their mind. Stay current about the state of social engineering by subscribing to their Cyber Heist News at knowbefore.com slash news. Think of Know Before for your security training. Thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our editor is John Petrick. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Our staff writer is Tim Nodar. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 